Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Hopefully a good day for you. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Steve Sinsky, the CEO of the American Soybean Association, will stop by and we'll talk about the 30 by 30 plan or the America, the beautiful plan, as it's being called. And uh, what does the American Soybean Association think of uh, the proposal and uh, what we know about it so far? We'll find out. Lots of things to talk over to Today with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We've got uh, a gasoline shortage on the East Coast uh, because of the uh, cyber attack uh, on that pipeline. Uh, meanwhile, we have lots of ethanol we could be using to help uh, that ease that situation. We'll talk about that. A new study out showing the environmental benefits of using ethanol. We have some export numbers to talk about. Lots to go over with Jeff Cooper. And on the trade front, we'll talk with Maria Zeba with the National Pork Producers Council as the pork industry pushes to get more access into the Vietnamese market. It could be a very key market. We'll talk about those efforts and the challenges there coming up later in the program. But we'll start it off with Todd Neely with DTN. Hi, Todd. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good. Well, um, we have been talking for some time and watching the growing demand for soybean oil because of, uh, you know, we're pushing these climate-friendly fuels and, and uh, energy sources right now, and certainly renewable diesel, one of those, and that has created quite a demand. And so we're seeing a reaction to that. ADM with a big announcement. They're going to build a soy crushing facility in North Dakota. Yeah, Mike, you know, this is a big deal. Um, when you look at a lot of the issues we had with the China trade uh, war that was ongoing in the past several years, uh, one of the things that that really uh, it really hurt the North Dakota farm sector because uh, in North Dakota at the, at, at the moment, there is no crushing facility. And so... Uh, farmers generally export a lot of their soybeans to the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Um, and so when China came in and, and uh, you know, it, it stopped taking products from the United States, essentially, uh, it really put a pinch on, on, the, on the local farm economy in North Dakota. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's interesting, this, is, this will be the first crushing plant in the state of North Dakota. And I think that's kind of astounding when you consider that that state produces about the fifth highest amount of soybeans every year of any state in the country and so uh, i certainly think this is going to be a big deal for local markets and that sort of thing and uh, we're not really sure at this point what that's going to mean for prices and, and all the things we, we look at um, you know on local levels but it certainly is a big big announcement yep one to watch and uh, certainly some good news could really as you said uh, have a lot of benefits um Interesting, the reaction to the, well, the 30 by 30 plan, it's now called the America, the beautiful plan. 
love the way they come up with these titles and names for these things when they're selling a program. But um, what, one of the things that we're seeing is the administration is being very careful to use the right words when in proposing these things and describing them, uh, stressing voluntary and things like that that agriculture likes to hear. Uh, we wait for details because yeah. that could change things dramatically. But uh, so far, they're certainly using the right language, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, I think one of the things we've noticed, uh, even dating back to the Obama administration, uh, farmers like to be uh, you know, very independent, and we want to make sure that we, you know, we're able to make decisions on our own and not forced uh, into anything. And I, I think that that certainly that kind of language does play into the American, you know, the rural American psyche. Um, you know, it's, it's something I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of environmental groups have been highly critical of over the years. Uh, when you look at the state of Iowa, it implemented a, uh, a voluntary program to reduce night, uh, nutrients runoff, uh, to deal with a lot of the water pollution that goes on in that state. Uh, and it really, uh, it really had quite a backlash from environmental groups and others, but it's, uh, you know, it's been highly successful when you look at farmers and what they implement and what they're doing. Um, in Iowa in particular, there's there's a lot of work to be done yet. But I think that, you know, any time that a farmer uh, feels like he's part of the solution and, uh, you know, he's, he's volunteering of his own you know, resources and time to do it, uh, it's really the best way for, uh, for farmers to, to be approached. I tell you one thing I thought of though, in the NFL, they have a lot of times voluntary workouts, but uh, <laughs> that's almost a name only. The team expects you as right. a player to be there, and they may call it voluntary, but uh, in essence, it is not. We'll see if that's the case here. We'll watch that. Um, the other thing that's interesting. Uh, these tax proposals and concerns in the ag community over changes to the tax structure on inheritance and things like that. Uh, I said all along, it will be interesting to see how this plays out because there will be Democrats in rural districts yeah. that will be concerned about this. And indeed, they have spoken out and said there better be protections for agriculture in these proposals. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. We had a uh, we had a uh, 13 members of the House, uh, rural Democrats. In fact, uh, they wrote a letter uh, to House leaders ab about this. Um, you know, and the big focus on the capital gain uh, tax, in, in fact, has been something that's been ongoing for a number of years. Uh, you know, it it, it kind of uh, when you look at the overall picture of agriculture and the farms, the future of farms, uh, being able to hand down that operation to to a next generation. Uh, is is very important, and uh, you know when you start talking about uh, capital gains tax, uh, stepped up basis, all these things that agriculture, uh, you know, is highly affected by, it it really does raise a hackle. And I think you're right. This is becoming very quickly a bipartisan issue when you start seeing rural Democrats step up and, uh, and you know voice their displeasure. And I think this is something that uh, the Biden administration is going to face a lot of pushback on. I think it's going to continue to grow. Also, we'll be watching. We've heard from EPA on a number of issues uh, that they're mm -hmm. taking in information, listening to all sides, but they've got some big decisions to make, whether it's for the uh, uh, RFS yeah. or whether it's for Waters of the U.S. I mean, we really haven't got the big decisions yet. We've heard encouraging words, but we haven't seen big action yet. No, and that's right, Mike. And, uh, you know, in particular, when you look at the water rule, 
uh, you know, there's continued to be some ongoing cases that, that were fought, uh, at least launched against the Trump administration rule. Um, a lot of those are kind of on hold as we're waiting to hear from Biden's administration on, uh, you know, what they're going to do. And a lot of that has to do with review of rules. And um, we might we might be able to expect something here in the next month or so about that, because uh, there are some court deadlines and different things where the Biden administration has to let the court know what it's, you know, where it is on certain rule reviews and that kind of thing. And um, I think that, you know, as, as it goes forward, we're going to see uh, we're going to see just how much this administration uh, wants to work with agriculture. This is a this is a big issue. Yep. Stay tuned for that. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Up next, Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. His thoughts on uh, the America the Beautiful plan and some other ag issues. Stay with us. This is AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half 
don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk with Steve Sinski, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, lots of things to cover. I wanted to get your reaction uh, real quick uh, to the announcement of the uh, building of a new soy crushing facility in North Dakota. That that shows, obviously, a growing demand. We've talked about it. We've seen it growing uh, for soy oil and uh uh, the boost uh, for renewable diesel. This seems to be a, a, a growth market. It certainly is, and that's certainly good news. Uh, I've been hearing from our uh, uh, soybean farmers up in North Dakota, our state affiliate in North Dakota, our leaders up there, and they're just absolutely thrilled by this. Uh, obviously, they have uh, don't have don't have a lot of crush facilities there, and uh, they're looking for this as a good way to you know, improve the basis for them uh, and, uh, you know, serve a growing market. So they're, they're really excited about this opportunity. And as we've talked before, this growing demand for renewable diesel holds a lot of opportunities as the push is on for, you know, climate-friendly energy sources, and we have the industry in place and ready to go. That's absolutely true, Mike. And, you know, we do see, I mean, when you think about that, I mean, given given the administration and the Congress's attention on what we can do to reduce our carbon emissions, really the low-hanging fruit that is available right now, and that is uh, by pursuing uh, both biodiesel and renewable diesel. And, of course, renewable diesel is uh, is taking the vegetable oil from soybeans as well as other crops uh, and uh, putting that into a, a, a hydro cracker that, that the refiners typically have and uh, making uh, renewable diesel out of that. And so it is a, a great way to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, and, you know, as we just heard on the spot right before uh, this segment, uh, that biodiesel and renewable diesel reduce carbon emissions by, on average, 74%. So it really is a green way to go, and it's a it's low-hanging fruit that's available right here and now. We don't have to build more electricity grid. We don't have to put up a bunch of charging stations. We can make a big difference right now with biofuels. Yeah, as we like to say, better, cleaner, now. We're talking with Steve Sensky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. All right, Steve, the uh, 30 by 30 proposal, or as it's being called now, the America the Beautiful Plan, um, they've made sure, without giving a lot of details yet, they are stressing voluntary and things like that. What's your reaction to what you've seen so far on it? Well, we're pleased to see, uh, like you said, that there's a great there's there's good things in there about honoring private property rights, 
a real focus on uh, voluntary, uh, private voluntary conservation. And so I think that's really good, good focus on working lands. And so we're relieved, frankly, uh, to see those things in this plan. Um, but I must say, you know, at 24 pages long, it really is just a plan for a plan. And uh, I think we need more details. Um, and, you know, we want to work with the administration to do that. What, that's one of the things, uh, frankly, that we're commenting on is that there needs to be really an opportunity for input before they get going too far on the plan. Um, the key word here, voluntary, and, and my question, question is, and what I'm waiting to see too, is voluntary really voluntary? I used the example earlier of the NFL. They have voluntary workouts, but they, the team expects you to be there, and it's, it's uh, kind of like a voluntary in name only, and wink, wink, it's really mandatory. So it'll be interesting to see what voluntary really means when we get the details on this. Yes, yeah, and, and, and I think that's 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 absolutely right, Mike. And I think we do want to see, um, again, I mean, it's great that they're using the terms, talking about protecting, honoring private property rights, the focus on working lands, um, and voluntary, as you say. But uh, what does that really mean? in the end and that that's all yet undefined and uh, that's where we want we want to have a lot of input the other area that we want to have input and we want to make sure that they don't get too much on the land retirement side of things as well um you know taking productive land out of production um that's a concern that we have yes we want to protect the most fragile land but we don't want to see the 30 by 30 initiative uh, being used to have a massive expansion, let's say, of the Conservation Reserve Program, because um, we know that, you know, for every acre that we take out of production, especially now during these times of high commodity prices, they're just going to go into production in Brazil and other areas around the world where, frankly, they have a lot less environmental protection. Yeah, and how do you, we've talked about this, how do you add 4 million acres to the CRP? without taking some very productive land out of production. I mean, uh, is there are there 4 million more highly erodible acres out there that should go into CRP? I think that's a big question that a lot of people have. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, that's going to be, um, I think, very tricky for the administration to expand the CRP by another 4 million acres, as they've announced, uh, without having a negative impact on productivity. You know, can they take, you know, some marginal lands, some, some more marginally unproductive lands out of production? You know, maybe, uh, but 4 million acres, that's a question mark. And if they're talking, we want to make sure that they're not talking about going beyond that as well, uh, because I think that would be a big problem. Are you hearing from soybean growers across the country concerned about tax proposals, especially when it comes to stepped-up basis? Yeah, absolutely we are. Uh, we, we know that, uh, you know, ta uh, having losing stepped-up basis uh, would be a big problem for the passing on of, of farms from one generation to another. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we have been following very closely, uh, 
we have been communicating with the administration and Congress um, that they need to make sure that they're exempting agriculture and farms from that. Um, you know, there's the administration is saying that they will have some provisions to allow uh, for uh, the, 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 the provisions to exempt farms that are going to stay in the farming operations uh, to stay in production by family members. Um, but there's not a lot of information around that. There's not a lot of detail yet. Um, and that's something that a lot of folks are concerned about. And so absolutely, we are hearing a lot, Mike, from farmers, soybean farmers across the country. Yeah, and I realize it's still early on in the administration, but uh, we're lacking a lot of details on a lot of different things. Uh, we're, we're hearing encouraging words out of uh, EPA and Administrator Regan, but again, we don't have details yet on the RFS, uh, RVO levels, still waiting on that. We don't have details on their approach to waters of the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of big decisions still pending. There are, um, and... You know, I again, I, I would say that we're hearing a lot of positive things. Uh, we've appreciated there's been good outreach by, you know, Administrator Regan, uh, by Secretary Vilsack and his team at USDA, um, by the White House, frankly, by reaching out to agriculture groups. And so we're appreciative of that. Um, and, and again, there's a lot of good information. They're saying, you know, frankly, very good things about the renewable, about the RFS. They're saying very good things about private, private, voluntary-led conservation and, and protecting private property rights. But again, um, you know, these are initial proposals, and we really, the devil is in the detail. Yep. So far, so good. But uh, as we've uh, often said, uh, actions do speak louder than words, and we're waiting for, for the actions. All right. Always good to talk with you, Steve. Thanks a lot. Take care. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Up next, a lot to talk about with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Uh, we'll talk about uh, this pipeline situation, the gas shortages on the East Coast right now. How could ethanol be helping with that if given the chance? Uh, we have export numbers. Are we seeing an, a rebound after the COVID impact really basically shut off ethanol exports that were just starting to grow? We'll get the latest on that. And a new study out showing the environmental benefits of using ethanol. All that coming up and more with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online.
Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. While the ag markets have rebounded from Monday's sharp losses as export customers returned to buy the break, for the third consecutive day, China has showed up as a buyer of new crop corn, buying another 680,000 metric tons, or 26.7 million bushels of corn for new crop, bringing the three-day total to 3.06 million metric tons, or 120.4 million bushels of corn. Now, China has canceled 16.5 million bushels of old crop purchases from the U.S. over the past week while purchasing those new crop bushels on top of 8 million new crop purchases by unknown destinations. This reinforces the demand picture, although the trade is watching to see how much global feed demand USDA shifts to wheat in tomorrow's report. Brazil's Safrita core production estimates are slipping as drought conditions intensify, with total production numbers now dropping below 100 million metric tons. Wall Street is actively talking about rising corn prices this morning, while traditional traders are focused on tomorrow's big USDA WASDE crop report. We're also seeing that cyber attack that shut down the Colonial Pipeline remaining a significant topic of conversation in the markets here today. Over in Livestock, Monday was a breath of fresh air in cattle contracts as we brought in some much-needed encouragement. The complex been fighting a stark lack of support for weeks on end. However, we see mixed action in cattle and hogs as the grain market is rebounding as we buy the brakes there this morning. Some numbers at the Chicago Board of Trade, July quart up 15 at 7.26 at three quarters. July beans up 26 at three quarters at 16.14 at a quarter. Chicago wheat for July up 15, 7.45 and a half. July KC wheat up 11 and a half at 7.15. July Minneapolis spring wheat up 18 at three quarters at 7.72. June live cattle up 45, 118.67. May feeder cattle down 67, 134.77. June hogs up 67 at 112.77. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
And we're joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us. We have the Colonial Pipeline shut down, affecting uh, folks on the East Coast, gas shortages. How could ethanol help this situation and alleviate these types of issues now and in the future? Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me this morning, Mike, and that's certainly an issue that we are very much focused on this week. And in fact, just this morning, about an hour ago, we sent a letter to EPA Administrator Michael Regan asking him to take a few very simple steps that would really open the door for ethanol to help address the, the impending fuel shortage and the price spikes that we know are coming on the East Coast. Uh, right now, in that region of the country, there's very little... Uh, ethanol blended above the E10 level. Uh, we think with some very simple steps, EPA could allow retailers to immediately uh, begin selling E15 in lieu of E10, and that would help, you know, relieve some of the pressure on on the on the East Coast market uh, that is resulting from the Colonial Pipeline shutdown. So uh, we're hopeful EPA will will take those steps that we're recommending and and really open the door for retailers to use more ethanol. We've got, Mike, as you know, 180,000 barrels per day of idle capacity right now. You know, it's about 2.7 billion gallons of, of production that is offline. You know, those assets could very quickly ramp up to supply uh, the East Coast market if we were able to get uh, EPA to cooperate with us and, and grant some of this relief that we're looking for. Yeah, and people listening might think, well, how does that help? You can't just use all ethanol. No, you can't, but the more ethanol you use, the higher the blends and the less gasoline you need to have. That makes the gasoline you have available go farther. That's absolutely right. It's, you know, ethanol is a fuel supply extender. It always has been, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Is we know the Colonial Pipeline typically ships about 1.4 billion, uh, or I'm sorry, 1.4 million barrels per day of gasoline up the east coast um we know that's not happening today because the pipeline is shut down uh so the 180,000 barrels per day of ethanol production that could switch back online and supply that market would really help extend the gasoline that's already in storage uh, at the terminals uh, along the eastern seaboard uh and, and buy you know buy the marketplace a little more time to get the pipeline back online and and, and running again you do not have to be on the East Coast to see higher gas prices at the pump. We're That's seeing right. that in a lot of places. Here again, if you if you have the availability of higher ethanol blends, you see a lower cost, uh, a, a good deal for motorists. Uh, again, another reason we say let's get more E15 and E85 out there. Well, that's right, and this really isn't an issue that's confined to the East Coast. Uh, we all know that uh, the, the liquid fuel market is a global market, and when there's a hiccup uh, somewhere around the globe, it's going to affect prices for everyone, and that is what we expect to see. Now, of course, uh, the, the price impacts are going to be more magnified uh, on the East Coast, but it is going to have a ripple impact across the U.S. gasoline market, uh, which is why, again, we think this situation really underscores the, the risks that are associated with putting all of your eggs in one basket and, and being overly reliant on petroleum uh, to drive our, our transportation sector. We need uh, a more diverse fuel supply. Uh, we need a, a more diverse and sort of unconcentrated and, and dispersed energy industry in this, in this country. 
the ethanol industry certainly uh, you know meets that bill. So I, those are the things that uh, we think policymakers really need to be thinking about, especially as we're right in the middle of a, a policy conversation around infrastructure and how can we improve this nation's energy infrastructure. Well, this is a pretty good reminder that we need to be building out our infrastructure for lower carbon renewable fuels like ethanol that can help in situations just like this. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. And in this push for lower carbon and cleaner air, uh, another study is out showing the environmental benefits of ethanol. Yeah, that's right, Mike. I mean, the evidence continues to mount. We we keep seeing more and more uh, studies and, and research coming out, really quantifying and confirming the greenhouse gas benefits of, of using corn ethanol. And just last week, we saw Argonne National Laboratory, which is part of the Department of Energy, put out a new study that shows today's typical corn ethanol is reducing greenhouse gas emissions by about 44 to 52 percent compared to gasoline. So that's right in line with the study we saw from Harvard and and MIT earlier this year, which said 46%. So, you know, there's a lot of convergence in the results of these most recent studies, and they're all showing that your typical corn ethanol is reducing uh, carbon emissions by about half compared to gasoline. So when, you know, we we know we've got an administration and many in Congress that are laser-focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we think this latest research and, and scientific evidence uh, proves that ethanol deserves a seat at the table in that discussion. And in fact, these uh, you know researchers from Argonne uh, you know really underscored that they said biofuels, including corn ethanol, can play a critical role in the U.S. Uh, desire for deep decarbonization of of its economy. And that's the key statement from this study that we really hope that this administration pays attention to so we have this we have different states looking at low carbon fuels programs Um, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on are we headed towards a a patchwork of these across the country wouldn't we be better with a national low carbon fuel standard Uh, what's happening in states like Oregon and some of these other states uh, working on these things Yeah, well, we do have two states that have had low-carbon fuel standards in operation for a little while now. In fact, California just finished 10 years, the first 10 years of their low-carbon fuel standard. And guess what? Ethanol has been the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions reductions under that program. Um, Oregon has had a program in place for five or six years. The state of Washington just adopted a low carbon fuel standard and governor Inslee is expected to sign the bill that was uh, sent to his desk so you're going to have all three states on the west coast and also british columbia uh, with low carbon fuel standard programs we, we there's a number of states close to a dozen in the northeast that are looking at similar programs we had uh, a bill introduced in minnesota that would establish an lcfs uh, a bill introduced in new mexico Colorado's talking about. So there is a lot of activity at the state level around low-carbon fuel standards, and it does, you know, make one wonder, hey, wouldn't we be better off with a national program Mm -hmm. rather than a patchwork of state low-carbon fuel standards where you've got different targets and different carbon intensity assumptions, and, and, you know, you end up with, with a real mess 
uh, when you go, go across state lines and you have different rules under these different programs. So we are working uh, at the federal level uh, to get Congress interested in a national low-carbon fuel standard. And, in fact, it hasn't been very hard to get them interested. There's a lot of excitement uh, in Congress and particularly in the House uh, around the notion of a national low-carbon fuel standard. And, and, again, because ethanol is reducing emissions by half compared to gasoline, we think ethanol would, would, uh, would play a, a central role in a national LCFS-type program. Uh, let's talk exports. Before the pandemic, we were starting to see a rise in ethanol exports to China and other places, and the pandemic basically shut things down. Are we seeing those start to come back? We are. We're seeing a nice rebound in, in ethanol exports so far this year. Uh, first three months of the year, we have data for, and, and, and things look really pretty good, Mike, and, and, and comparable to where we were uh, at this time or through the first quarter of, of, of 2020 before the bottom fell out with COVID. Um, we're seeing really a, a you know, significant growth in exports to China. Uh, we know China's buying up everything, you know, everything they can get their hands on uh, in terms of ag commodities, and, and recently that has included uh, ethanol. And so even with a 35% tariff in place, uh, U.S. ethanol is flowing to China uh, and is penciling out it's more economical even with that tariff than the ethanol that they're able to produce uh, in country. So uh, that's encouraging. We're, we're hopeful we can do away with that tariff altogether. Uh, but, uh, you know, things look pretty good headed to China. We're also seeing strong volumes to Canada. Uh, India is another market that has come on very strong. Uh, so things do look good on the export front. We're back to exporting about, you know, 10 or 12 percent of our production, which is where we were pre-pandemic. Encouraging. Uh, a lot of things, if they would fall into place, we could really see things take off for the industry. But there are a lot of, uh, a lot of ifs out there we still have to get answers to. Yeah, that's right, Mike. I mean, we, it seems like, you know, every time you, you start feeling pretty good and, and getting optimistic about where things are headed, um, you, you get smacked on the back of the head with a frying pan, and, and there certainly are some frying pans we're we're watching out for out there. I mean, uh, you know, this this truck driver shortage is is we think a significant issue that we're going to need to contend with um, because our industry does rely on on a lot of truck transportation. Um, you know, we, we're also obviously uh, dealing with extremely high corn prices and and. Because corn is our top input, that's that's causing some challenges yep. as well. So, uh, you know, optimistic, but there's always challenges ahead. Right. Just like our Cardinals, who are right now are in first place. So that's good news. Thanks, Jeff. That's right. All right. Thank you, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know 
whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today we're talking about micronutrient efficiency with Devin Wirth, CHS Agronomy Technical Specialist. All right, Devin, what is best timing and placement for micronutrient applications? The best micronutrient application is the most convenient application. Many times I recommend a post application of a product with multiple micronutrients for a balanced approach that can be applied with your herbicide and or fungicide applications. I look at it like giving my kids their daily Flintstones multivitamin, actually. It's a delicious, balanced, nutrient-packed vitamin to keep my kids healthy. Do my kids need every single nutrient in that product every day to keep them alive? Eh, no. But will it help them grow up healthier, help fight off sickness, and be able to help them function a little bit better during the day? I think so. I think the same concept can probably be applied to our crops and how proper nutrition can help with stresses and diseases as well. Devin, what is the difference between preventive and corrective micronutrient applications for crops? I like to think of it like a fungicide application. By applying a preventative fungicide, you make sure a disease doesn't enter the plant and immediately start impacting your yield potential, right? The same thing applying your micronutrients before a limiting deficiency happens. I think many farmers know their fields pretty well and know from year to year what their problem deficiencies are. But if not, they'll see the symptomology show up later on in the season, or they can use useful tools like tissue tests. However, by the time they see these symptoms show up or the tissue tests tell you that you're deficient in a certain micronutrient, your yield potential has already been limited. You can certainly correct the deficiency with a curative type application, but the damage has already been done. That's why I think preventative approaches gives you many more benefits. That's Devin Wirth, CHS Agronomy Technical Specialist. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... 
So the president's tax proposals have some in agriculture concerned. We're going to talk about that uh, today with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, there's certainly a great deal of concern about this in farm country. And we've had a record number of farmers and ranchers call their members of Congress saying how concerned they are about a new capital gains tax at death. Any tax imposed at death is problematic. It's because farmers and ranchers don't have cash in the bank to pay the tax they have to sell. Now, the American Families Plan that was put out last week has three increases in capital gains taxes in it. Yes, we can't say for sure that this is a good deal for farmers and ranchers, and we're very worried that the rules that would come along with the targeted program might not work for a lot of people. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Maria Zeba. She is the Assistant Vice President, International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. I want to focus on gaining more market access, more market share in Vietnam. Maria, thanks for joining us. What's the challenge? What's the issue here? Tariffs? It's partly tariffs, um, and 72 members of Congress sent a letter to Ambassador Tai last week, and they agree with us that tariffs are too high and we need a level playing field, and we also need to address some non-tariff barriers um, as well into that market. It would seem, with African swine fever in, in that country, that uh, there's probably a, a demand for pork, right? There's a huge demand for for pork in Vietnam and other countries in Southeast Asia that are dealing with African swine fever. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have a level playing field. We don't have a free trade agreement with the Vietnamese like our competitors do. But what we do know is that last year, Vietnam lowered their tariffs temporarily. And when they did lower them, um, we saw a real boom in our exports to, to Vietnam of, of pork and pork products. So we're looking for the Vietnamese to do something similar. I think it's a win-win for not only our producers who get to export more products, get more value added, but also for the Vietnamese consumers that get to buy high-quality pork from a reliable customer like the U.S. Why was that tariff reduction temporary? Well, I think at the time, the Vietnamese were were looking to negotiate on a number of other trade actions, um, and they were looking at building goodwill with the United States, and I think that right now we're in a similar position where we can um, take advantages of some of that those negotiations that are ongoing on some other trade cases. Um, and so they're, they're poised to lower the tariffs again. Um, they also have to manage food price inflation. So I think that there's um, a, a real opportunity for our producers to gain, gain something here. How big a market could that potentially be for U.S. pork producers? Well, Vietnam uh, consumes more pork than Mexico. And... Um, mm about 57 pounds of pork per year 
uh, per citizen. So we can certainly see this market going from a $54 million market to something similar to, to the Mexican market, which last year we exported $1.2 billion. Uh, of course, that's all, all going to be factored on a number of issues, including you know, reducing those tariffs, eliminating those tariffs, like we, we see that in, in Mexico, and, and um, addressing some of the non-tariff barriers that we have. And what are you hearing from the U.S. Trade Representative's Office about addressing this issue? Well, they're, uh, they've got the letter. They've been working with the, the Vietnamese on this and other issues. Um, I think that we're, we're in a good position to see some movement here um, over the next, next year or so, next few months, um, as the conversations continue with the, the Vietnamese government. Like I said... It's a win-win for not only our producers, but also the Vietnamese consumers who get to have another source of, of pork at a good price. Who's our biggest competitor in that market? Well, right now, uh, we're looking at um, Russia. We're looking at the European Union, um, Canada, pretty much a, a lot of these countries that have free trade agreements um unfortunately we're we're in a bad position in, in that case um but it's it's pretty much everybody that's a big pork con- uh, producer in the world minus the u.s so those competitors of ours get better access into that market lower tariff rates than we get 100 percent. the they're they're looking at Sending pork for a lot less than, than we send our, our pork. Their tariffs are, um, in some cases, just a fraction of ours. Um, and, you know, the CBTPP countries are, are paying um, 7.5% tariff while we're paying a 15% tariff. So that's all we're really asking for is, is to level the playing field, to reduce the tariffs for for our products and to get us back into um, a, a country where we can we could see a lot of opportunity um, in exporting and also diversifying away from from some of these uh, make, making things a little bit more diverse for our producers and giving them the options to export to a few other countries. So it's these other countries have trade deals in in effect that gets them the lower tariff rates and we're left on the outside on that. Yes, we um, we're no we don't have a free trade agreement with Vietnam, um, but we do know that the Vietnamese can unilaterally lower their duties on on whichever product they want. Um, they have lowered duties for for pork in the past um, last year, in fact, um, and they did it for six months. So that's all we're asking for is an extension just like that to put us on par with our competitors and to make sure that that we can, um, you know, compete on the level playing field. They've, they've done it in the past when they've had the need. Um, there continues to be the need because of ASF. So we're, we're optimistic that we can um, reach an agreement here. Trade deals take time, so that would be the quickest uh, solution, right, for Vietnam to lower that tariff rate for us. Yes, certainly would be the the fastest way of of doing it would be for them to to lower that duty, um, most favored nation duty, um, and we would be the ones that would capitalize on that since all our competitors have um, a trade agreement with the Vietnamese. Um, So it's 
it certainly um, would would go a long way for our producers. And um, last week, 72 members of Congress agreed with us. They did send a letter to Ambassador Tai on this topic. All right. So hopefully we'll get some resolution on this soon. Thank you, Maria. Good to talk with you. Thank you as well. All right. Maria Ziba, Assistant Vice President, International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. That wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.